Good afternoon, everyone. I invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Luke tonight. And we're going to begin in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Beginning in verse 9 of Luke chapter 18, we have a number of different small sections that are all strung together in the chapter for the purpose of answering the question about what is required in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so, if you'll notice, we'll just survey these quickly. Luke 18, verses 9 through... 14, the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. What is required in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven? Humility. That's what we learn from the parable of the, of the Pharisee and the publican. The next section, verse 15, 16, and 17, piggybacks neatly on the first, where Jesus blesses the little children and makes this statement, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter into uh, the kingdom of God. And what Jesus means when he says that we are to receive the kingdom of God in the way that a little child receives it, it has to do with uh, recognizing our dependence upon God in the way that a child will recognize their dependence upon their parents. And then you'll notice that the next section is verse 18 to 23 where we have this conversation between Jesus and the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and wants to know what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. And you remember that what Jesus ultimately told him was that you need to sell all your goods and feed the poor. And he went away sorrowful because he was very rich. And then that prompts the question in verse 24 through 29... Well, who's going to be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven? And so humility is required, verse 9 through 14. Recognizing our dependence upon God is required, verse 15 through 17. Turning our back on and giving up the things of the world is required, verse 18 all the way down through verse uh, number 29. And then verse number 31 through 34, Jesus predicts his death What's required, what's required uh, in order to enter into the kingdom of God following the Savior, even if it means following him up till the point of an agonizing death? Now, the reason why I wanted us to survey all of that is because of the two sections that come next, verse 35 through the end of this chapter, and then verse 1 through verse 10 of chapter 19. Jesus answers the question for us in those small sections we just surveyed about what is required in order into the kingdom of heaven. But now, in these next two sections, Jesus answers the question about who is able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. We have the first section, which is a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus in verses 35 through 42. And then in chapter 19, verses 1 to 10, we have the occasion of Jesus going to Zacchaeus' house. And I want you to notice that with Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus seeks to see Jesus and the crowd. They reject him, but the Lord doesn't allow those rejections to stand. 
In chapter 19, Zacchaeus seeks to see Jesus, but the crowd uh, makes it difficult. So Zacchaeus has to climb up a tree, and Jesus says, I'm going to go to your house today. And then in verse number 9 and verse number 10, we have what many may consider the key verses of the whole book. Jesus says this, Today salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. What's interesting is when you go back and you compare what we saw in Luke 18 with what we see in Luke 19 because the latter answers the former. Here's what I mean by that. The tax collector, remember the uh, parable of the Pharisee and the publican? The tax collector is justified by his humility but Zacchaeus adds to that because he says it's not just justifi- it's not just humility that's required for justification but it's also repentance and obedience. With the rich young ruler he is saddened because he learns that he has to sell all that he has but Zacchaeus in Luke 19 no question he's rich and he rejoices at the opportunity of being able to sell and to give to those who have need. The crowds ask Uh, At the end of the section with the rich young ruler, who then can be saved if it's difficult for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven? Well, Zacchaeus is presented as the answer. The crowds, at the end of chapter 18, they rebuke Bartimaeus for crying out to the Lord. Zacchaeus is forced to climb a tree. But what Bartimaeus finds out and what Zacchaeus find out is that while they were searching for the Lord... The Lord also was searching for them. Now the reason why I pointed all of this out to us is because tonight we are beginning part three of a four-part series that we started two years ago where we're going to summarize the book of Luke in five words. Remember a couple of years ago we started with Matthew and we summarized the book of Matthew with five words. Those words are, number one, fulfillment. Because Matthew emphasizes Jesus as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Number two, king. Because Matthew emphasizes Jesus as king. And then, of course, kingdom along with king because he talks about his kingdom. Number four, authority. And number five, teaching. Then last fall, we looked at Mark in five words. And the five words that summarize Mark are action. Because Mark emphasizes the word immediately or straightway and wants us to see that Jesus understood that he had a limited amount of time in this world and he was determined not to waste any of it. The second word is power because Mark emphasizes the great power of our Lord, understandably so because he was writing to a Roman audience. The third is a combination of two, it's suffering servant because Jesus is emphasized in Mark as the suffering servant. In fact, in Mark 10, we find what may be the purpose passage for Jesus' entire ministry. The Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Then there's the fourth word, which is son. And throughout the book of Mark, you'll see an emphasis on the titles of Jesus, son of God and son of man, one emphasizing his deity and the other emphasizing his humanity. And finally, number five is the word discipleship, follower, because 
Mark emphasizes what it means to follow Christ. Now we turn our attention to the book of Luke. And what you're going to notice, by the way, as we start working our way through the book of Luke, a couple of things, is that there are, there are only a few main ideas or main themes in the book of Luke, at least in my judgment. But there are, shall we say, bullet points or subcategories a plenty to each one of these main themes. And so sometimes it almost seems like you're repeating yourself, but when you step back and look at the big picture, you can see them clearly. And I hope we'll be able to accomplish that over the next several weeks. Another thing that we ought to take note of is that there are many of these themes in all four gospel accounts that carry over to each, uh, or that more than one gospel account will emphasize. For example, we talked about the word kingdom in the book of Matthew, but we've also talked about the kingdom of God just in our uh, beginning few minutes this evening from Luke 18 and Luke 19. But as we look at the book of Luke, our first word for the book of Luke, the first word to summarize this book is the word salvation. That's why we started where we did, because I wanted us to see this section right in the middle of the book, which revolves around, again, what many would consider the key verse for the book, Luke 19, verse 9 and 10, salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham, for the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. So Jesus tells us who is able to be saved, or I should say rather what is required, that's 18, remember humility and recognizing dependence and turning away from worldliness and uh, following Jesus even to death. And then he answers who can be saved, the blind and the hated, Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus. That's right in the heart of it. But what I also want us to see tonight is that this book not only talks about and emphasizes the the concept of salvation in the middle, but it it actually begins and ends with an emphasis on salvation. Go back to Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. Our young people are learning chapter points for each chapter in the book of Luke for their Bible bowl, and the chapter points for chapter 1 and 2 are easy to remember. I'll give them to you. You ready? Luke chapter 1, salvation is coming. Luke chapter 2, salvation is here. In Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, we have these two chapters that emphasize two births. The birth of John, the baptizer, and the birth of Jesus. Now, we don't have the time to study through these two chapters tonight, but I do want to just quickly work through some of the passages or point out some of the passages so that we can see this theme of salvation together. In chapter 1, salvation is coming. And the first thing that we read about in Luke chapter 1 is John's birth as it's announced to his father, uh, Zacharias. And I want you to key in with me on Luke chapter 1, verse number 14. In Luke 1, 14, as excuse me, as Zacharias is being instructed about what's going to happen, here is what he is told about the reaction that the birth of John will receive. He says, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, 
For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, will drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to children and the disobedient uh, to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now later in Luke chapter, uh, in Luke chapter 3, whenever uh, Luke begins to record for us John's work, and we'll notice this in a moment, he will quote, just as he does in Luke chapter 1 from Old Testament prophecy, but in Luke chapter 3 he will quote from Isaiah chapter 40 and he'll reference verses 1 to 12. And uh, fast forwarding a little bit here, Isaiah chapter 40 verses 1 to 12 is a chapter in which Isaiah by inspiration writes to the children of, of uh, Israel, the southern kingdom to be exact, and he's writing to them about the fact that they're going to enter into Babylon. But he also tells them, if you'll read Isaiah chapter 40, he tells them that all hope is not lost because he begins to speak of, uh, of uh, repentance and restoration and salvation and all of these other great themes. And what Luke does by inspiration in Luke chapter 3 is he takes what Isaiah says about coming back from Babylon in Isaiah 40 and he applies it to the coming of Jesus and the work of John the baptizer in Luke chapter 3, which leaves us with what conclusion? That in Isaiah chapter 40, ultimately what Isaiah is looking for is not just the salvation, if you will, of the southern kingdom leaving Babylon and going back home, but it's the salvation that's going to come into the world for all humanity through Jesus Christ. Well, look how the book begins with that in Luke chapter 1. People are going to rejoice. He is going to turn many of uh, the children of Israel back to their God. He will come in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. Also, taking our minds to Isaiah chapter 40 and uh, Malachi chapter 3, among other passages. So salvation is coming, and John, he's going to be born into the world, and his birth, it's going to, it's going to signal that this salvation that the prophets have written about, that it's near, that it's on the way. Keep going in Luke chapter 1. You also have in Luke chapter 1 now in verse 30 and 31, this is the announcement of Mary of Jesus' birth. And listen to what is said to Mary. And Luke one thirty one says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you'll call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob and of his kingdom. There will be no end. Fast forward, end of the chapter, look at 60, verse 68 and 69. Luke 1, 68 and 69, this is a, a, a prophecy of Zacharias who says, uh, after the birth of John the baptizer, who makes this statement, blessed is the Lord God of Israel because he's visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Look at verse 75. Sorry, not verse 75, verse 77. Look at verse 77, 76 and 77. And you, child, speaking of John the baptizer, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. 
So Jesus has not been born yet by the time we reach the end of chapter 1, but we've learned something already. We've learned at the announcement of John's birth that he's going to be the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies that talk about the one coming in the spirit and power of Elijah who's going to prepare the way for the Lord. We have learned that when the Lord will be born, that uh, salvation will be a reality. And we have learned now after the birth of John the baptizer that uh, the Lord, verse number 68, 69 that he has brought salvation, he has visited and redeemed his people, and you, verse 77, are going to give knowledge of salvation. Salvation is coming. Then look at chapter 2. Chapter 2 tells us that salvation is here. Jesus is born in the first few verses of chapter 2, and then look at what is said in chapter 2 and verse number 11. There are angels who are speaking to the shepherds out in the fields. And they say in verse 10, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Mary was told Christ is coming back in chapter 1, verse number 32 and 33, and salvation is coming with him. Now he is born, and the angels say, Salvation is here. Look at verse number 29 through 32. Now Jesus, he is taken to be presented in the temple. And as he is there being presented in the temple, there are two individuals that will see him and speak up. In verse 29 through 32, it's one whose name is Simeon. And here's what Simeon has to say. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word because my eyes have seen your salvation. Notice, not in prospect, but in reality. My eyes have seen, your salvation is here. I've seen them, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Look at verse, uh, look at verse number 38. In verse 38, this is Anna. And Anna makes this statement. She gives, or rather this is said about Anna. She gives thanks to the Lord and she spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So salvation is coming, chapter 1. Salvation is here, chapter 2. That's the way that this book begins. The announcement of John, the announcement of Jesus what the result of their coming is going to be, their birth, and then an an explanation about what they're going to accomplish. And both of the explanations, or the explanations rather for both of them, have to do with salvation is coming into the world. It's here. Look at how the book ends. Look at Luke 24. Luke 24, if we're going to call chapter 1, salvation is coming, and chapter 2, salvation is here, then maybe we'll call chapter 24, salvation is proclaimed. Because this is the chapter in which Jesus, uh, he is risen from the dead, he speaks to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, he begins to expound to them in verse number 27, Uh, from Moses and the prophets, all of the things that the scripture said concerning himself. And now, in Luke chapter 24, verse 44, just before Jesus' ascension, here's what he says. These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and Psalms concerning me. 
And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and circle this, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are my witnesses of these things. Behold, I send you the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. And it's at this point, of course, that we have to recognize that Luke wrote not just this book, but he also wrote the book of Acts. And if we were, we're not going to tonight, but if we were to travel over to Acts chapter 1, we'll notice that Luke begins Acts 1 where he ends Luke 24. Salvation is coming, salvation is here, Luke 1 and 2. And then between Luke 2 and Luke 24, we have the work of Jesus, which makes salvation possible. And then at the end of Luke, Luke 24, Jesus says to his apostles, I want you to go to Jerusalem because you're going to receive power from on high and then you're going to proclaim this message of salvation to the whole world. So the book begins and ends with the theme of salvation. I want you to notice a few other passages with me tonight before we conclude this study. I want you to just write some of these down because we won't have time to look at all of them. But you can write down Luke chapter 3 and verse 6. We talked about this just a moment ago, but I want to point something out to you from Luke 3 verse 6 and also from Luke 2 and verse 32. In Luke 2.32, the uh, words of Simeon, we have this statement, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. In Luke 3 and verse 6, as uh, Luke quotes from Isaiah chapter 40, he says this, of the work of John the baptizer and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. One of the other great themes that we have in the book of Luke, and we'll talk about this uh, in uh, time to come, is Jesus as a man of compassion who pays attention to all people and especially the ones that nobody else wants to spend time with. And that's part of what we see in these two passages. Because when Simeon says, when Simeon mentions the Gentiles and when Luke quotes Isaiah by saying all flesh will see the salvation of God, what Luke wants us to see by inspiration of the Spirit, of course, is that salvation is not just for the Jews. And it's not just for the wealthy, uh, highly esteemed Jews. Salvation is for all people, Jew and Gentile. And so as we go through the book of Luke, we will see that illustrated. Like, for example, in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 10, we read about Jesus healing a centurion servant. He's a Gentile, and yet a well-regarded Gentile, because we're told in these first 10 verses that he was one who financed uh, synagogues and things for the Jews. And Jesus will say of this centurion, this Gentile, I say to you, I have found not great faith, no, not even in Israel. Imagine the shame that Jews must have felt when they heard Jesus utter those words. How about Luke chapter 8? In Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through uh, verse 39, there is a demon-possessed man in the country of the Gadarenes, or your translation may say the Gerasenes, same place. This is the occasion of Jesus casting out the demon whose name is Legion. And the point is, he is saved from the demon possession, 
And, uh, but the point is that here is someone who is dwelling out by himself, who has been completely outcasted, and yet Jesus says, I'm going, I'm going to help you. Luke chapter 9, verse 51 to 56, we have uh, another occasion. In this time, it's a little bit different. It's reverse. Because in Luke 9, 51 to 56, Jesus visits a village of the Samaritans. We know, of course, that the Samaritans don't want to have any deal, or the Jews won't have any dealings with the Samaritans. We learn about that in John chapter 4, but also in this book, remember, we have the parable of the what? Of the Good Samaritan. And the reason why that parable is uttered is because there's a Jewish lawyer who comes to Jesus and seeks to justify himself. And in seeking to justify himself, he says, well, uh, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus gives the parable of the Good Samaritan. You remember where the priest and the Levite walk by and leave the man for dead. And it's the Good Samaritan who stops and takes care of him. And then Jesus asks at the end of the parable, which one of these was neighborly? And the Jewish lawyer is forced to say, well, it's the one who took care of him. All of these things are going on in the book of Luke because God wants us to see the fact that salvation came into this world not just for a select few people, but for everybody. Another thing that Luke will actually talk about as well is the requirements of salvation. You go back to Luke chapter 5 and verse number 32 uh, just for example. And uh, in Luke 5 and verse number 32, we have this statement of Jesus. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to what? But sinners to repentance. Repentance is a theme in the book of Luke. Luke 13 verse 3, Luke 13 and verse number 5, unless, we rep unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. And we even have a perfect illustration of what it means to bring forth fruit of repentance in Luke chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. Those who came out to listen to John and to see his baptizing, you remember the people asked him, what will we do? He said, whoever has two tunics, let him give, uh, let him give to him who has none, and who has food, let him do likewise. The tax collectors came, what do we do? Collect no more than what's appointed for you. The soldiers came, what do we do? Don't intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. A couple of things going on here, three really. Number one, repentance is a requirement for salvation because they say, what do we do? That's them saying, what do I need to do to be right with God? Number two, repentance and salvation is available to everybody because look who's pictured. You have the people in general, you have the tax collectors, and then you have the soldiers, presumably perhaps Romans. And then number three, you have a description of what real repentance actually is. Because Jesus says to the tax collectors, just for example, he says, collect no more than that which is appointed to you. Don't, he doesn't say stop collecting taxes. He says stop stealing taxes, if you will. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of action, and he describes the change of action. We talked uh, at the beginning, you remember, about Luke 18 and Luke 19, and about the connection between what happens in Luke 18 with uh, Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus in the end of Luke 18 the beginning of Luke 19. Do you remember one of the points of connection between the parable of the Pharisee and the publican and what we learn about with Zacchaeus? With the parable of the Pharisee and the publican, we learn that humility is a requirement in order to be right with God, a requirement of salvation. 
But then with Zacchaeus, we learn that it's not, it's not just about being humble, it's also about repentance and obedience. All of these themes are found throughout the book of Luke, and I might add this as well, Luke 24, 47, it points us in the direction of Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. So really the capstone, the exclamation point on the theme of salvation in the book of Luke isn't actually found in Luke at all. It's found in Acts 2. Because remember that Jesus previews what's going to happen in Acts 2 at the end of Luke and then all of that comes to pass when we get to the book of Acts. And what happens? The gospel is preached, the church is established, And people hear, believe, repent, confess, and are baptized for the forgiveness of their sins, and they're added to the church. Whenever Isaiah prophesied, and Micah, and Malachi, and so many others, about Jesus, and about John, and uh, and about what God was going to do through them, about what salvation was to come, Acts 2 is really ultimately what they had in mind. Because Jesus came into the world to die on the cross, his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins, and then Jesus' instructions before ascending back to heaven to be with his Father were what? Go preach the message of salvation to all people so that they can come into contact with my blood, have their sins washed away, and so that they can know salvation. So Luke in five words. Your first word, salvation. The book begins with it, the book ends with it, and all throughout the book, salvation is emphasized in a number of different ways. Salvation's requirements, salvation's proclamation, the fact that salvation is available to all people, the fact that salvation being a reality is in accordance with the uh, Old Testament prophecies and the will of God from eternity, if we were going to add Ephesians 3 verses 9 to 11 here, this book has a lot to say about salvation. I'm going to offer the Lord's invitation tonight. Maybe it's the case that salvation is not something that is a reality for you. Maybe it's the case that you've not yet obeyed the gospel And if that is true, then we urge you to make that right. The Bible says that we're to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that we're to repent of our sins and confess our faith and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins, and that when we're willing to do that, God will add us to the church. Maybe tonight you're a Christian. Maybe you're struggling and you'd like for the church to pray for you. If there's anything we can do at all, won't you come forward and let your need be known?